officially Happy New Year. As Emily said, this is the first Sunday that we get to gather together here in 2021 physically. And for those of you joining us online, a a happy belated New Year to you as well. So good to be uh, together. Hey, for those of you I don't know, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mission Point. And man, on behalf of our elders, on behalf of our staff, So, so good to have you and to have you as a part of what Jesus is doing here. And we trust that you leave this space um, most impressed with the person of Jesus Christ. Um, We are starting a new series that we are calling Strangers Living for a Better Kingdom. And what a crazy week of all weeks to be starting this series. When we started planning this conversation uh, months back, we had no idea the kind of turbulence that would resurface in our nation this week. And yet, God knew, and here we are. As a matter of fact, this series was not in any way designed to address the tension and the division that seemed to continue to re-emerge and, and show its face over and over and over in this nation. It's almost as though 2021 20, didn't get the memo that 2020 is over and the calendar has flipped and it is a new year because it seems like the Turbulence just continues to carry over, if not intensify. But again, this series was not designed to address some of the tension and division that we're experiencing in our nation. This series is designed to remind those of us who are part of the church that we belong to a better kingdom. Is to remind the church... That though we may live in the borders of this nation, at least here in the United States or whatever nation you happen to be tuning in from, our first and primary citizenship is to the kingdom of heaven. And we don't just belong to a better and undefeatable an unending and undivided kingdom, but we are called to live in light of that kingdom. We take our cues from, we find our culture shaped primarily by the kingdom of heaven, even though we live on earth, which is going to make us strangers, if not occasionally a little strange. So, we want to launch a conversation in which we are leaning and looking into the teaching of Jesus Christ in what it looks like to live in light of the kingdom of heaven. What does it look like to live in light of that better kingdom? Because here's the reality. You are either living in light of the kingdom of heaven or you are living in light of the kingdom of men. And Jesus shows us how we can tell the difference. So for the next number of weeks, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Matthew chapter 5. This is a section of scripture that is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. On account of the fact that Jesus gave the Sermon on a Mountain. Uh, These are the kinds of things you learn in seminary if you are willing to pay the money and to, to go there. The Sermon on the Mount. And man, I just really, really thought we would get into it this morning. But I got stuck in the first two verses. I'm sorry. So y'all get to get stuck with me. Congratulations, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse verse 1. But before we do that, let me just give you a little bit of the background um, here. The Sermon on the Mount most likely takes place about a year after Jesus' public debut. It's most likely the spring after Jesus' baptism. So Jesus' public ministry is not too 
far into its run. He's about a year into it, but his reputation is catching flames and it's spreading like crazy. Everybody in that region has heard something about Jesus as an entirely fascinated, if not fixated on this man, who he is, what he says, what he can do. Because by this point, he has done some head scratching, some heart stopping things already. For example, one time he went to a wedding and turned a few vats of water into wine. Party on. That kind of a party trick has a way of getting around. There was one time when Jesus performed this long distance miracle. Um, there was a really important official in the area who had a sick son. Jesus didn't even meet the boy. He just sent the word and the boy was healed. That kind of thing has a way of hitting the the headlines. There was one time when Jesus showed up on the beach and his soon to be disciples were struggling with their fishing and Jesus told the fish in the sea to jump into the nets of these men so much so that they nearly sank their boats. That has a way of getting around. Jesus at this point had healed a dude who had been paralyzed for about 38 years. That is going to hit the news cycles. Needless to say, by the time we get to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus Christ is viral. He has fans, crowds chasing him down by the thousands Wherever he goes, the people, the paparazzi are tracking him everywhere like Pokemon. Do people still do that, by the way? I don't even know. I saw somebody strange in our neighborhood, and I I think that's what they were doing. Because if they were not, the other option is very criminal um, or strange. Uh, Jesus' popularity is spiking. He draws a crowd wherever he goes. So there is no surprise that Matthew chapter 5 opens up with a crowd hoarding Jesus. There is no surprise that Jesus is being bombarded by thousands and thousands of people. That's not a surprise. What is surprising is the way Jesus responds to the crowd. Woo! It's almost unbiblical. Except it's Jesus and it's in the Bible. Check this out. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. (laughs) What? He did what? Okay, this is what um, our millennial friends might sometimes refer to as ghosting. (laughs) Now, for those of you who are blessed with gray hairs of wisdom showing up in various places, let me explain what ghosting is to you. It's a term that was actually coined in reference to the dating scene. Ghosting is what you do when you've been hanging out with someone and you don't want to hang out with them anymore. And so you just vanish. You just disappear from all communication like Casper. Hence the term ghosting. But that term has come to be applied to various other Context, various other relations. Quick show of hands, by the way, if you've ever ghosted someone. Oh, I don't do that. I know somebody just like, yeah, I ghosted my husband last week. But um, I've ghosted people. Matter of fact, I've been ghosted. There's some people in this room that have ghosted me. But then we'll talk about that later. That's not, but Jesus, though? Jesus? These, these are people who've taken off work and have even traveled a little bit and they just got straight ghosted by Jesus. I don't know what you read when you read this passage. When I read it, it says when Jesus saw the crowds. 
The Greek word that's translated for saw is a word that means to become completely aware of. Meaning <laughs> Jesus noticed the crowd. He processed the information in his mind and he determined this is who they are and this is why they are here. Perhaps to see me do something impressive. To catch a glimpse of the Jesus show, perhaps. Jesus saw the crowd. He digested all of this information and then he made a choice. Peace I'm out. And then he bailed. He just left. Talk about a Holy Ghost. (laughs) Amen. All right, stop it. All right, I'm moving on. Jesus literally ditches hundreds, if not thousands of people. I don't know if you knew that Jesus rolled like this. Except it's right here in the Bible. He saw some people and he decided, I'm going to avoid them. I'm out of here. But it gets a little more interesting, at least to me. I find it interesting. You might not find it interesting because... He's just not as interesting a person as I am. But I read this, and this is part of why, by the way, I got stuck. And maybe I had a few extra minutes on my hand over the break. This was fascinating to me. I've just enjoyed getting reacquainted with Jesus in this passage. A reminder that he doesn't fit into the pretty and the the, the perfect and the predictable little constructs I like to to try and keep him in. Because here he is just ghosting People And did you notice where he went? Here it is again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he's like, I'm out. And he went up on a mountainside and sat down. This story never made it into the pretty little Jesus picture story Bibles that I grew up Reading, He did what? Matthew says, he went up and sat down. Except that's not really what I think it says. Matthew seems to actually say, Jesus went up and sat down. Not that Jesus went up and sat down. And uh, those are two different things. I told you I had a little extra time on my hands over the break. And I got fascinated by some of the nuances in this passage. He doesn't seem to say Jesus went up and he sat down, which is how I've always read this passage. No, Matthew seems to be saying Jesus went up and sat down. And those two are very different things, at least to me. And I've come to favor the second reading of this verse. The word translated went up. Jesus went up is a word that means To hike. To hike. Jesus hiked up a mountain. And then when he got up there, he sat down. And I read this and I'm like, yeah, I must have too much time. Because the second part makes sense. Jesus sat down. He didn't sit down because that's kind of some super spiritual posture in which Jesus prefers to teach. No, Jesus sat down on account of the fact that he just hiked up a mountain. So he was tired, so he sat down. I always read that passage as, uh, Jesus went up a mountain and he sat down and began to teach. I'm like, no, Jesus hauled up a mountain. And I'll tell you why I find that super fascinating. Jesus didn't just go to these people. He hauled up a mountain. He hauled up a mountain to get away from them. Ouch. But hang on, it gets worse. Because at first I'm like, okay, but in his defense... Maybe Jesus has had a little bit of a long week. Something hard has happened. And he just needs some time to grieve by himself. 
I'm like, you know, maybe Jesus has just reached his people limit and he just needs a little introvert time to recharge, to be alone, but lo and behold the rest of the verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd, he's like, Mm-mm. he went up a mountain and he sat down. Oh, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Ouch! Now, again, if I'm reading into this passage because I had a little extra time on my hands, please feel free to tell me after. Don't start talking to me now in church. Um, I wish you would. Don't get me wrong. Just not about this. Maybe I'm reading into it. Jesus escapes the crowds. He hikes up a mountain. He sits down. And Matthew says, then he starts to teach a group of his disciples. Ouch. Because doesn't that sound like Jesus is saying, it's not that I don't want to be with people. It's that I don't want to be with you people. Ouch. It's not me. It's not them so much. It's y'all. That's what this passage says. He looked at the crowd. He was like, Mm-mm. no thank you to the crowd. Yes, please to the disciples. And he left, hiked up a mountain. I'm like, youch to that. And I just want to know what is up with mean and exclusive Jesus. Why does he like people all of a sudden? No, actually, I think it's a really important question for us to answer before we move on into the rest of what Jesus teaches in this passage. I don't know if I told you, I got stuck on these couple of verses. As excited as I was to lean into and to learn what Jesus teaches about living in light of the kingdom. I got stuck with these two verses and I just couldn't move on until I realized I don't think we're supposed to just move on. This is foundational. To what it means and looks like to live in light of the kingdom. Man, I noticed a couple of things. The first thing that struck me about this section of scripture. Is that the kingdom... Is not for fans. It's for followers. The kingdom is not for fans. It's for followers. Jesus is about to teach about the affairs of the kingdom of God. The thing is that the affairs of the kingdom of God is not the business of fans. It's the business of followers. Because after all, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven if not any place where anyone declares Jesus is king? His agenda above all other agendas. Jesus isn't ghosting the people because he doesn't like crowds. Come on, your heaven is going to be a crowded place. The pandemic will be way in our rear view mirror. 
Jesus leaves the clamoring crowd because what he wants to talk about is not for them. I was ready to move on and say, let's talk about the matters of the kingdom. And I got stuck because the matters of the kingdom are not for everybody. They're for followers. If you're a fan, it's not for you. The matters of his kingdom are not for the crowds. They're for the committed. And we could just talk like it doesn't make a difference. Let's just have the conversation. But that's not what Jesus did. He drew a distinction. I'm not talking to y'all now. I'm talking to you. It's only for those who crown and call Jesus king. And we can get into what it looks like to live in light of the kingdom. We can talk about what it means to take our cues and our culture from his kingdom. But who are we kidding? If Jesus isn't your king, this isn't for you. I mean, we can go through the motions and we can play the game. But let's be honest. You will not live in light of the kingdom if you have not crowned Jesus king. So why move on? I got stuck here because, come on, can we talk real in 2021? Too late. We're doing it already. The church is crowded. But I don't know that the church is committed and there is a difference. And in 2021, I think it is part of the responsibility of the leadership in the church to draw the difference that Jesus draws. This ain't for everybody. And Jesus might ghost many of us to our surprise because at the end of the day, we're just fans. And he's like, the same for you. Man, as a church leader, I have to take some responsibility because I think the American church leaders have helped create a culture of fans instead of calling kingdom of followers and I don't think we mean to I don't think we said out to I just think it becomes this path of least resistance and of greatest ego scratching and so before we know it we start to favor attendance over obedience you will never see Jesus make that preference You can attend every weekly Jesus rally called a church service. But if you don't do what he says, when you leave the service or you log off the stream, you might be a fan. And the matters of the kingdom ain't for you. And we as a church need to say that. Our propensity is to move right to verse 3 and skip verse 1 and 2. We love our packed services because they, they, they often serve our egos, frankly. And that's how people measure. How's the church doing? Well, man, there weren't that many people. I mean, the goal is, it's not really about the people, but it really is. Um, we can have services packed to the full. But if packed church services 
are full of people who pledge allegiance to anything or anyone other than Jesus. We might just be fans. And the matters of his kingdom, they're not for us. And yet we continue to perpetuate attendance and and packed church services. It's like we just want people to show up to church. Jesus is like, agree to disagree. We've played a part in this. We've told people, you know, it's fine. For you to just show up and consume. Just show up and take. Take whatever you can get out of it. And that becomes the language. (laughs) I don't like it there anymore because I don't get much out of it. So we left. Why? Because we weren't getting anything out of it. We perpetuate that. Wait, what, you're leaving because you didn't get what? Tell us, tell us, just make the list of things. And listen, we will give you more stuff. And we'll give you more stuff to consume so you can stay. But don't just stay if you don't mind. Put a little money in the offering plate. And it becomes consumerism and commercialism. Like Jesus needs our tips. And we've made it fine. Just take And leave and take and leave. And we'll see you at next week Jesus rally. But I'm telling you. If if you show up to take but not give. If you come for the show. But you sow nothing. You might be a fan. I'm sorry. Isn't that by nature the very definition of what fans do? They show up and they take and they're amused and they consume and they're entertained and they may pay occasionally the price of admission and then they move on. That's what fans do. That's what the crowds did with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we're here. Put on a show. Impress us. How was it this week? Ooh-wee! Jesus had a great miracle this week. You should have seen it. Better than last week. Better than last week. How about this week? Oh, it was not that good. There was some dumb, dumb, uh, thing he did that you couldn't even prove. It wasn't that impressive. I'm not going next week. Oh, I heard Jesus did another great one. Well, I'm going to show up again. Consume. That's what fans do. And I fear in the church, we've made it okay. And Jesus is like, peace. Kingdom is not for fans. It's for followers. The question of verses one and two, before we move on, is very simple. Which one are you? A Jesus fan? Or a Jesus follower? Where would you be in these two verses? Among the committed? Or just in the crowd? Jesus drew a distinction. And I think we as a church have blurred those two. Which one are you? Let me rephrase. Are you living outside these walls beyond this stream? As a fan? Or as a follower, which one does your life scream? Are you living like it's Jesus' agenda, winning over everything else?
It's what the, the, what the people in your family hear you obsessing about. See you living after. Or you like, la, 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 Sunday. Hey, let's go to church. You might be a fan. Which one are you? And this is a really difficult question to answer. But I think this passage helps a little bit with this. Because I also noticed that following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus is not convenient. (laughs) It is costly. The kingdom is for followers, but following is costly, y'all. Can we just talk about this? Because we are going to turn to Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 and we will hear Jesus say, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those. And it might be tempting to immediately think that, oh, that the kingdom of God is purely about blessing and that it is. Believe me. But we might miss the fact that it is costly to follow after Jesus. Did you notice? That Jesus hiked up a mountain to get away from the crowd. Although I've got to ask. I'm sorry because I know this is going to be confusing. And it's like, oh man, welcome to the convoluted mind of, of condo. This is some of the stuff that goes on in my mind. But what if, I'm just asking, what if? Jesus going up the mountain wasn't an escape. What if, I'm just asking, Jesus going up the mountain wasn't a great escape as much as it was a great invitation. I'm just asking. What if Jesus is saying, oh, your came for me. Great. Are you willing to make the climb? Oh, 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 no, no. We came for the beach, Jesus. We didn't come for mountain, Jesus. Oh, that's unfortunate because this whole kingdom thing is going to be procured on a mountain. But I digress. What if this isn't an escape as much as it is an invitation? Because I can't help but not notice Jesus saying, you stay, you come. He hiked up a mountain. And I can't help but notice that three chapters later, Matthew chapter 8 verse 1. It says, (laughs) when Jesus came back down from the mountain, the crowds were waiting for him. And they asked him, put on a show, Jesus, put on a show. It's too fascinating and dare I say convenient that the crowd was there at the bottom of the mountain before he went up and at the bottom of the mountain when he came down. I'm just asking you, if this was an invitation, would you make the climb? Or are you one of those people who's in with Jesus when it's convenient and it's beachfront, but the minute it costs you something, you're out. Because I came to tell you the kingdom is for followers and followers will count the cost. It's costly to follow Jesus. 
I was recently telling my family, confessing to them like, hey, you know what? I, I don't know that I can say for sure Tim Cook and the Apple organization doesn't own each of our kidneys. I don't know. And we laughed about it. Like, what do you mean you don't know, Dad? I'm like, for all the apps and upgrades that I've made on my Apple devices, it occurs to me, I've never actually read any of the terms and conditions. I just check read and agree because I want to play Angry Birds. Just update my Apple Music so I can listen to music. I don't care what the conditions are. I'm just hoping for the best. I'm just hoping that it's safe. So if Apple knocks on the door and says, all your pancreases are ours, I don't know. It's possible. Daddy didn't read the fine print. And unfortunately, I think that's what we do with Jesus. You want forgiveness and freedom? Yes, please. And we as a leadership in the church have played a part in this. Well, all you have to do is sign agree to this here prayer and watch this upgrade to your eternal dwelling and lodging situation. We'll worry about the fine print later. Jesus never does that. Jesus never does that. Jesus says, I want you to read the terms and conditions. So you don't wake up one day, halfway up a mountain, and say, why is it costing me something? Because following me is costly. I think I've been part of failing to paint that fuller picture. Forgiveness is free. Following is costly. Getting saved will cost you nothing. Following Jesus will cost you everything. And we need to say that. Savior is free. Lord is everything. And Jesus must be both or he will be neither. It's costly to follow Jesus. And if we don't teach that, again, we help to cultivate a soft church that has expectations that things are going to be easy. And the minute something challenging happens, the minute it starts to cost us a little bit, we're disappointed, we're disillusioned, and We bail on the hike. Jesus tells us exactly. Kyle taught on this last week. Luke chapter 9 verse 23. This is what it says. Then Jesus said to them all. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Must deny themselves. Take up their cross daily. And follow me. There is only one way to follow me, Jesus says. And it will cost you everything. I want the full and exclusive rights to your life. I am king. I am lord. I make the calls. My agenda becomes your priority. Are you in or are you not? It's going to cost you. I want all or I want Nothing. 
Read the terms, read the conditions, count the cost. If you are willing to pay the price and take the hike, come on then. If you are not, go home. You might be a fan. And I think as a church, we have neglected to communicate what Jesus communicates. And then we're going to move on into this passage and talk about what it looks like to live in light of the kingdom of God. But who are we kidding? I will not live in light of the kingdom of God unless I crown Jesus king, which means I've counted the cost and everything I have is his. Otherwise, we are going to move on and we're going to do what we so often do in the church, which is like, teach us, Jesus. Mm, I like that one. Verse three is my favorite. I'll, I'll take that one. That one feels nice, warm and convenient. I don't like that one. And before long, we start to pick and choose from what Jesus says. We start to pick and choose when it suits us. And we become Christians of convenience. And Jesus said, there is a name for Christians of convenience. Fans. We start to pick and choose. I like this, I don't like that. I like this, I don't like that. I like this, I don't like that. Because we fail to communicate. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus now gets to say about everything. And we follow him even when it becomes costly. I just wonder how many of us are cool with Jesus as long as it's convenient, but the moment it costs us something, we're out. You can't follow Jesus without willingness to have it be costly and inconvenient and hard at times because it can be a hike. And I'm telling you, if you quit when it gets challenging, you might be a fan. If you're using the pandemic as an excuse not to engage the calling of Jesus to his church, you might be a fan. You can call it being safe, which is fine. Except you do everything else. Meaning, you do the things that are convenient. But you start to play safe because it will cost something. Huh. I'm just telling you, hey, it's 2021. Maybe my New Year's resolution is to just speak my mind more. You might be a fan. And this is not a statement about whether or not to be safe or be safe. I'm just saying be consistent. Be safe. Safe is great. Playing it safe, not so much. Being careful is great. Being convenient, not so much. Anyone can follow Jesus when it's easy. That's what fans do. Are you willing to surrender rights and follow Jesus no matter what? Anyone can wear a cross. When it's stylish. But only followers will carry one. When it requires sacrifice. Anyone can claim Jesus when it's trending. And to be honest. Among evangelicals. Jesus is trending. Anyone can roll with Jesus when it doesn't clash with our politics. When it doesn't mess with our money, but when it costs something, when there's a climb, and all of a sudden, I'm telling you, there is such a propensity, and we've helped to cultivate it in the church to use Jesus for convenience. We even use him as a reason why we voted what we voted. And you know the hilarious thing is both sides do the same thing. 
convenient. question is, are we truly willing? And I love those who are consistent and, 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 and who will make decisions, but will pay the price. That's always inspiring to me because I think it paints a picture of what Jesus invites us to do. Which one are you? Fan or a follower? One more thing I've got to say before we close on this cheerful note. Um, The affairs of his kingdom are for his followers, not his fans. The good news, the good news, every fan is invited to be a follower. The kingdom is for you. The kingdom is for you. I love studying the teachings of Jesus. And you notice when Jesus speaks to the crowd, he is constantly inviting them to commit. When Jesus talks to fans, he's inviting them to become followers. The good news is every follower is invited to become, every fan is invited to become a follower. I love that. Did you see that in Luke chapter 9 verse 23? Look at it again. Then he said to them, whoever wants, whoever wants, My prayer is that we'll be honest with where we really are today. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Because here's the bottom line. Whoever wants, you can follow Jesus. I don't know what happened in 2020. I don't know what happened last week. I don't know what happened this morning. But what I know is as of this moment, you can follow Jesus. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, count the cost, No, it's not going to be easy. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus is the king of a glorious, unshakable kingdom. And by the way, can I just say this for the record? Following Jesus will cost you. (laughs) And following Jesus will be more than worth it. There is no more worthy sacrifice to make than the one that is made in the name of Jesus. It will cost you everything and it will gain you everything else. For what good is it for me to gain this world and forfeit my soul? But the one who loses his life for my sake will find it and find it evermore. I'm telling you, we can talk about the fact that it is costly. But you will never regret following after Jesus. I love the Beatitudes. Jesus leaves the crowd, goes up to the mountain, and his followers go with him. And when they get there, they sit down. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth to his followers, blessed That word means how completely happy are y'all. We feel tired right now, but you are blessed. This is hard, Jesus, but you are blessed. And the Beatitudes are these pronouncements of blessings over people who have made the costly decision to crown Jesus king and follow him at all costs. And the rest of it, Jesus says, you are blessed now. You will be blessed then because you follow me. The good news is every fan can become a follower. And believe me when I tell you, the life of following Jesus, that's the blessed life. But first we must be honest with where we really are.
And this is the hardest conversation for those of us in the church. Because we've already decided, we know, I know, I know. But I pray the Spirit of God would give us an overdose of humility that allows us to ask the question, do I really live my life like Jesus is my king? Or do I live my life like Jesus is a matter of convenience? Am I a follower or a fan? Because it's in that moment of humble honesty that I can make the plea to him. Jesus, have my life. Jesus, own my life today. And then I wake up tomorrow, Jesus, own my life today. Jesus is Savior and Lord. The beauty of it is his Savior once. He doesn't save you 15 times. But he is Lord every day. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And for those of us in the church, what an incredible invitation to count the cost, to daily acknowledge Jesus is king. His agenda reigns over every other agenda and to follow after him in blessedness. I don't know if you've never experienced forgiveness. It is as simple as asking Jesus, will you save me? And he will. And if you continue to find your life as one of convenience, it is as costly as making the glorious declaration. Jesus, I lay it all down. It is yours. I crown you king. And give me the grace to say this again tomorrow. And I will follow you all the days of my life. As we launch into 2021, this is a heavy question on the heart of our church leadership. Does heaven consider us fans or followers? And will we help the people of Mission Point? And will we ourselves live life to follow after Jesus as his blessed disciples? And so Jesus, I pray for humility. Give us the grace that we need. To follow after you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.